This is Fresh Tracks Weekly. Well, last weekend was a blast. Uh, we went out and found some turkeys opening morning. I ended up calling this guy in. Uh, he came in really close. Unfortunately, a little too close. Kara ended up uh, missing him. Doesn't help that we had an extra full choke in, uh, so she missed the first shot. And the turkey hesitated long enough at 40 yards that I uh, was able to get him. Uh, but luckily, we did run into more turkeys that day, and that evening, Kara made a perfect shot on a tom that time. So as soon as we got home, tossed my bird into a brine so we could cook him up for an office lunch, uh, actually a couple office lunches. So I started doing this on pretty much every turkey where I pluck them, I cut the legs and wings off, I smoke the carcass separate from those legs and wings, and then I take the legs and wings and braise those down like into a the slow cook them and you can cook them into all sorts of dishes. So we had the smoked turkey breast for lunch and the classic mashed potatoes and gravy, delicious. But the next day braised those legs and wings down and then turned a portion of it into Thai turkey basil stir fry. Turned out really good. We're gonna make a, a full video on that later, but super tasty. But anyway, Michael finally got that boat out. So we need to check in with him and see what he has going on. Hey guys, welcome back to the fishing corner. Fresh Tracks Weekly, episode 39. Wow, almost over the hill here. So fishing wise, I was fortunate enough to get out on the boat last weekend, got to fish some new water, wound up pulling a pike out and a couple big walleyes and a rainbow trout. Um, basically it was just slow jigging really close to the bottom. I was using like a smelt looking bait, soft plastic with the jig head. And uh, the water temperatures are starting to come up a little bit, which is really nice because it's been a really long winter and those fish are pretty lethargic when it's, when it's super low. But besides that, I've been getting out and doing a lot of bass fishing actually. And I've been catching them on spinner baits on windy days. And that's really the only way I've been catching them. I caught one on a Ned rig last night, which is just like a little worm dragging it on the bottom. Um, starting to get a little bit excited for some trout stuff here in the near future. Um, but this weekend, I think I'm going to focus back on some warm water species, do some walleye fishing, maybe go back to where I went last Saturday. Who knows? But I will tell you that if you're a Fresh Shacks Plus member, anything goes. It's going up on Monday. So check it out. Also, it's Earth Day on Saturday. So this year, um, I'm going to like pledge or try really hard to pick up more trash when I'm out fishing this year. That's my, my earth day activity and I'll be out enjoying the earth doing some fishing, I'm sure. So thanks for having me, Marcus. This is the fishing corner. All right. On to some news. The snow keeps coming and is hanging on a lot in the Rockies. Looking at the snowtail sites across the Western US, the majority of them are 150% snow water equivalent or greater, which is just crazy. Uh, Montana is actually doing better in a lot of our areas. We don't have quite as much snowpack, a lot of around average or a little above average. Tough times for critters for sure, but in some areas it has been super helpful with the long-term drought and, and filling up some of these depleted aquifers. In Arizona, the snow levels are so high in certain areas that the Arizona Game and Fish just sent out an email warning turkey hunters that some areas will be inaccessible. The pictures on the screen show just how crazy some of the snowpack is. Pretty wild that it can be 100 degrees in Phoenix and then not too far away at higher elevations, the snow still hasn't melted. I looked at the two snow tail sites that are still up and running in Arizona and they're both over 300% of snow water equivalent. Uh, anyway, spring will be here soon enough. Last week in Idaho, a fishing game conservation officer shot and killed a domestic dog for chasing deer. The officer was responding to an unrelated call when people informed him 
that they witnessed two dogs chase and kill a mule deer fawn, and the dogs continued to chase deer afterwards. The officer found the dead fawn and witnessed one of the dogs still chasing deer, at which point he shot and killed it. In Idaho law, it is legal to de destroy a dog, those are their words, when it's actively tracking, pursuing, harassing, attacking, or killing a big game animal but only a fish and game director, peace officer, or person authorized to enforce Idaho fish and game laws can be the one to destroy the dog. In this case, the fish and game officer then returned the dead dog to its owner, while the owner of that second dog, the dog that was not shot, was issued a citation and $136 fine. Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks just sent out an email detailing how they are embarking on mule deer monitoring, research, and outreach initiatives. This is timely because we were just talking about what is killing all the mule deer last week. And this initiative is a result of the long-term decline in mule deer populations. Then go too deep into what is killing all the mule deer other than listing the usual suspects of things like winter kill, drought, short-term and long-term habitat changes, and predators. Interestingly though, part of this initiative is conducting public opinion surveys about mule deer management in Montana. In particular, season lengths and the ability to hunt mule deer bucks in the rut. The survey showed that the majority of resident hunters value mule deer hunting greatly in Montana and that they prefer the opportunity to hunt mule deer every year over hunting every several years with the opportunity of killing a more mature buck. Most also supported the long five week season that we currently have and most also supported hunting mule deer bucks in the rut with a rifle. I happen to be one of the randomly selected survey respondents and looking at the results on every single question, I aligned exactly with the majority of respondents. I did not always think this way though. I used to be a proponent of limited seasons, wanting to see more mature bucks, but through a combo of going to school for fish and wildlife management and seeing how other states management styles work, I've grown to be an advocate for our long seasons and the ability to hunt mule deer in the rut, at least within Montana. Interestingly, if you pulled the regulars on the Hunt Talk forum, you would get a very different result because it seems like the majority of the posters, including Randy often, think that FWP has managed mule deer into the ground. This is where it gets interesting to me because when you talk about the reason for a regulation existing, you can kind of boil it down into two main categories. Regulations designed for maintaining healthy populations and regulations to satisfy social desires. And the reality, whether you like it or not, is a lot of the regulations are often constrained mostly by social desires. Biologists definitely wanna maintain healthy populations, don't get me wrong, but things like landowner tolerance and habitat availability, hunter satisfaction, those are the things that are gonna be the biggest drivers in regulation changes. But all of that within the confines of trying to maintain healthy game populations. I'll agree that Montana Fish, Wildlife, and Parks and their biologists could sometimes do a better job at explaining their data, but there simply isn't evidence to show that the current season structures impact herd health in a negative way. And we can't ignore one of the big reasons for this is the fact that there are so many sanctuaries in the form of private land where deer can escape and hide from public land hunters, but you can also kill a lot of bucks and still have a stable deer population. In fact, with the rise of chronic wasting disease, our liberal harvest of bucks could slow the spread of the disease, resulting in a net healthier population. I think at the root of most of the complaints for Montana mule deer management is a niche group of hardcore hunters who wanna kill mature bucks. It's not about herd health, it's about wanting more big bucks. I've hunted in Montana for 21 years and I've killed a buck every single year. The vast majority on public land 
Also, every year I've passed up multiple bucks before I fill my tag, and I would categorize every year as a high quality experience. And yeah, a lot of them are two to three year old bucks, but those hunts have been some of the best memories of my life. In Wyoming, the corner crossing case that we've been discussing continues on. Both sides in the case have filed for partial summary judgment, basically saying that the judge should decide on some of these charges before that makes it to trial. If you're unfamiliar about the corner crossing case, the Cliff Notes version is that four hunters used a stepladder to cross a corner of public land to another corner of public land, at which point they crossed the plane of two other corners of private land. And now they're being charged with trespass and it is moving its way up the court system. From what I understand, summary judgment usually only happens if one case is extremely strong against the other. So the fact that both sides have filed motions, uh, everything will likely go forward with the trial. Fred Eshelman, the private landowner whose corners were crossed, claims that the four hunters are guilty of trespass and should pay him $7.75 million in damages. His claim is that he has control over who crosses his private land, including the airspace above it. The hunters, on the other hand, want the civil case completely dismissed, claiming that the landowner violated the Unlawful Enclosures Act of 1885, which prevents landowners from fencing others out of public land or using threats or intimidation. We'll have to continue to follow along and see what happens with these filings for summary judgment. For the deeper dive this week, we decided to keep it a little lighthearted. We're going to just have a BS session talking about some of the hunting related myths and pet peeves that drive us crazy. Fresh Tracks Weekly, episode 39. <laughs> Michael coming in with the radio announcer voice. That's good. We're going to have to have like a little sting intro here pretty soon. Michael would be our guy for that. Yeah. This is a, Nicole's first episode on Fresh Tracks Weekly. The it is. Welcome, Fresh Nicole. Tracks employee. So exciting. The rookie. The rookie? Yeah. I don't think so. <laughs> uh, what are we talking about, Marcus? Well, this this time I feel like it's going to be kind of a BS session of us just talking about... Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> bullshit. That's we, bullshit. Well, we were talking about how, how people love to cl- make certain claims within uh, the world of hunting that seem far-fetched, uh, you know, and there's some myths that are perpetuated throughout hunting media or just whatever just you, you hear them from barroom banter and whatnot but uh so we're gonna go to we're gonna bar. bring up some myths and then some pet peeves that people uh often you know maybe i'll bring up some stuff that annoys me but anyway <laughs> so I'll, like I'll, a catharsis you, you get to start yeah well the one that we always think is funny in that and I, I was probably guilty of it to some extent before we went on llama trips is talking about how heavy your pack weighed. <laughs> and so ev- people love to talk about, oh, yeah, 100-pound hindquarter off an elk. Yep. Like, have you guys ever seen a real 100-pound hindquarter? Never oh. have. No, I've seen a, a big, big bull elk this past fall with Scott Jones. That thing was not – I mean, it was off by what what's – 85 minus 100, or 100 minus 85, 18, 15. 25 pounds? Yeah, it was, <laughs> I think, 15 pounds. 15. <laughs> those, math, you see, those, that elk was like the biggest elk that, I mean, I wasn't there, right. but. I've never, I've looking. never processed one that big in my entire life. Right. And even with that, you know, keeping everything on that hind quarter, Scott said when they hung it at the, the meat rack there because the guy charged him by the pound i guess it was 82 or 83 pounds was the biggest one yeah that's and so that's big a, that's insane so yeah, and that's then giant Kara's like, bull was also the biggest bull that i've ever dealt with this year 
and we weighed the hindquarters like 73, 74, I think. Yeah. Something like that. And that was huge. Yeah. So most elk, like a lot of the, you know, the Raghorn Express that I'm used to like going on, <laughs> you shoot a two, year, two and a half year old bull. Those are like maybe 50 pounds. Maybe. Like on a good, like a big bull, a big it's, two It's and like and someone half, who says that bull. I caught my first fish. Oh, Do you yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, yeah. Everyone always goes shoulder width. Yeah, until That's you just start like weighing the natural. it. Yeah. And until you start weighing it or like measuring your fish, like something that I've started to do, because like I've heard all those stories. You talk to anyone, they caught 20 inch brown trout. It's like, yeah, do you actually know what a 20 inch <laughs> brown trout is? Because that's a big fish, you know? And then like we've been fortunate enough to like, we, like Marcus said, go on some of these llama trips where you have to weigh and like balance out these panniers for the llamas to carry. Like I would advise people to go watch the, the episode uh, when we were in Montana with Bo. And like, that was the first time we had done it. And it was like, kind of like, wow, that's, that's crazy. What were they like high 40 pounds? I think, no, those were like, I think it was like 52, 54, 52, somewhere in that realm. Three and a half or four and a half year old bull. Yeah, it was, it was a three and a half at least year old bull. Could have been four. I don't know. We didn't age that one, but it was a big bodied elk. Like by all, I mean, I don't know, been around a lot of dead elk and like there's, that was a big bodied one in 54 pound hindquarter. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a funny one to me because there's a lot of hundred pound packs that you hear about. I don't I know. Pers- I but perspective wise though, like, um, where I kept my horse in Butte, we had a herd of about 40 elk that would always be in with the horses. Yeah. And when you have them up next to a horse, it's a, it's amazing how small they actually look comparatively like body size. And obviously this is a, it's a cow calf spike herd, but I don't even know that if you pulled a hindquarter off my horse, that it would be a hundred pounds and she's a stout girl you know so it, would. it might be it would <laughs> but i mean she's she's little but okay. like with the elk standing next to her i think you can have like a comparison of like this is a much leaner tighter um different framed animal the other thing i would say with packing and i've helped pack out elk i'm still a rookie in the elk world i haven't filled my elk tag yet that's my goal this year knock on wood but um, I don't think a lot of people like, uh, whenever I'm packing out something, I'm not only carrying a quarter, I'm carrying extra meat, a heart, a liver. So I, like people that might be true. packing out like a hundred pound pack and they're like, well, I packed out that hind quarter, but they added an extra 20, 30 yeah. pounds of meat. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. And there have been numerous hundred pound packs and for sure. I have weighed hundred pound packs and <laughs> on a scale and they suck. They're not fun. It but it makes the story the better. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's like the the kid in Little League who hit a five hundred foot home run or something. <laughs> that that's that's the guy who regularly packs out hundred to hundred and twenty pound loads. Give me a break. <laughs> All right. Yeah, got, I feel like it's not sustainable, right? Like if you, you probably can do it a couple like one it's time. It's probably not the best idea. You know, yeah. it's probably on the limits of if you're going multiple miles, right? Right. It's, yeah, it's not good for you. No. Trust me. Chase, what do you think, man? Yeah. I think, yeah, don't, well, the, the packing out 100-pound packs just reminded me, like, a couple of years ago, I shot a mule deer, and I was like, I'm not that far from the truck. I'm going to throw the whole thing in my pack and do this in one go. And it was, first, it was a challenge for me to even get get off the ground with the pack on. But second, it was so muddy out there. I took two steps and slipped. I was like, I'm going to snap a leg out here. And I deloaded the whole thing and took, did two trips. But 
Yeah, I wouldn't recommend doing. Was that one of those 300-pound male deer we had? <laughs> oh, easily <laughs> yeah. three, 300-pounder. Yeah. He was big-bodied buck, Yeah, you know, 300-pounder. Yeah. What's another myth? Let's move on to the next one. What, has anybody got a good one? I mean. Uh, I was just reading one because I was kind of trying to prepare, and uh, it made sense. It's like, like people say they can tell, like, oh, that's a big bull, like, by its track. Like, you look at a track. Is that a myth or is it not? I call it a myth, man, because there could be a very mature. I think there is a select number of people who are very knowledgeable on that scale. Yeah, I think there's a lot of people who probably think they are, and then yeah, they'll yeah. they'll t- try to tell you. But I think, yeah, I say will there's s- guys that could do it. I will say that you I don't. have seen outliers of yeah. tracks that do not correlate to the antler size. Mm. So and that and I don't know if I can speak confidently enough to like put body size in there as well, but definitely some like big antlered critters with not as big a track as you would expect. And then vice versa. Maybe you could even throw in a bugle sound too. Oh man. Yeah. Bo's bull from last year. <laughs> in Wyoming. That was a three fifty bull. Yeah, all those day. big guttural screaming elk, you know, those have to be three hundred and fifty inches, right? It was closer to thirty five inches. <laughs> but, but it was <laughs> what a story though. That was that was a good one. Yeah. Uh, for uh Michael and Nicole, you guys weren't there, but there's a little raghorn that we had not seen and he just had the growliest bugle oh man that we it was just like we were sure that it was a giant he thought and, he was a big and he timer. was holding up we were trying to call him in and he was holding up holding up wouldn't come in just growling and then finally steps out and it's just like the <laughs> tiniest bodied little raghorn and both <laughs> well mike was gonna shoot and mike's like that's, like that's my not, dream ball i'm like that's not him <laughs> and like both like i'll shoot it so both shoots it <laughs> That I want to be like, like on the opposite of Boone and Crockett. I want to be like, like Poon and Frocket, like the <laughs> smallest five point raghorn. Oh, you can possibly make. They're way easier to pack out. <laughs> <laughs> we've we've done plenty of those. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I have a myth that I don't know that it's a myth, but as like a, um, some people will know my story. But I got into hunting eight years ago and have been in the hunting media world since then, and. Um, actually, I was on Randy's podcast when it first came out with Giannis Patelis when I was working at Meat Eater, and um, that was, you know, even before I'd gone on a hunt. So it's kind of fun to be full circle. But thinking about being a new hunter, one thing that was sort of perpetuated maybe accidentally for me was that the as a beginner, the more you practice, like the more perfect your shot is going to be the first time. And um, it was sort of like this this thing, and I, I worked really hard and still didn't pull off the shot because it was so much, there was so much anxiety behind it. And there are so many people I think that get into hunting and have an idea of what like the mythical experiences and being in the field is just so, so different when you actually um, are deciding to pull the trigger. So that's one thing I'll say for people that are getting into hunting is that um, it's a difficult, it can be difficult and it gets better. But I, I think the beginner myth of perfection through practice is something we definitely need to be more honest about, especially on the media side. Yeah. It's so hard to prepare. Like when when you're talking about with shots, like for an in the field moment, like I feel like you just can't, there's no, there's no replicating that in a a training scenario. I don't know. There is. I still, I still struggle a lot with it. Yeah. Me too. (laughs) Just like, 
Me too. <laughs> <laughs> but over the years, it's become like um, I've become more okay with it. And I think that like the the harder you work and the more you understand how tough these animals are and build that respect for them, I think it pushes you to be as good as you can possibly be in the moment. But um, it also, you can find grace in those mistakes. So just something that I think about a lot. You got one, Randy? I got, well, Michael told me that we're supposed to list pet peeves and myths. Yeah. Yeah. We can give us, list. give us one of them. Uh, people who are late. If you can't get, <laughs> oh, yeah. if you can't get the mattress off your back, you don't deserve to hunt that day. That's true. I mean, hunting time is sacred, right? Especially I, for like non us, like the, the people who are weekend warriors and like don't get to go out as much as we do. Yeah. Like yeah. the flip side of that is your hunting buddy who you drive to the trailhead three hours before daylight opening morning. And he says, Oh, I got to be home by noon. Ooh, <laughs> yes. I should say the former hunting. Right. Exactly. You start to that. sort out who you. Yeah. None of my hunting partners have ever done that to me. Thankfully. Really, <laughs> It'll happen. And that's when they become a Or former. the guy who fills his tag two days early and he decides it's time for him to go home oh, yeah. before the everyone, trip ends. Yeah, everyone else is supposed to go home. <laughs> yeah. So how yeah. do you deal with somebody like that? Like, do you just straight up tell them? Have yeah. you had to deal with people like that yeah. in the past? Yeah, when they call me and said, hey, where are you at? I'm like, I'm at the trailhead. You were 10 minutes late, pal. Yeah. I'm sorry. You know? Yeah. I, I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. yeah. I, so. I just have ghosted people. That's kind of my strategy. It's just like no response, no text. I'm going by myself, <laughs> dude. Yeah. I, I mean, that that's just like I, I can't trust this person. Yeah, yeah. So uh, that's on the pet peeve side. Nice. Uh, on the myth side, it's that pronghorn don't taste good. Ooh, that's a good one. That's that's like sacrilegious. There. That's like ground. I think if they, you want to keep they, away people from pronghorn hunting, though. Well, that's true. <laughs> The one thing about that one, well, I think you're right that it's largely a myth, but I think sometimes it is true that pronghorn don't taste good. But the reason they don't taste good is not because it's a pronghorn. It's because right. how it was taken care of in the field. Uh, yeah. 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 Generally, That's people are season. hunting yeah. pronghorn in hotter weather and chasing, yeah. or, you know, some people chase them down and this, yeah. it's not taken care of in the way that it should be. So yeah. that, that one, I think, is rooted in some reality because yeah. of people okay. not being great hunters and stewards of the resource <laughs> all right I'll, I'll i'll go with that but to say they inherently taste bad oh yeah oh that was bullshit <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think uh well we've done the blind taste test and i really want to do a blind taste test again and i want you to get in on it because i don't think that you'll be able to tell i'll know huh <laughs> i i will know yeah, i'm <clears throat> glad that that's on the record yeah we should yeah. get that going I will. soon Okay. When I killed my pronghorn, I've killed a couple now. I had Randy's voice in the back of my head saying me to get it out of there as fast as possible to get it skinned. And uh, I mean, I've fed pronghorn to so many people that don't even know what the animal is. Like, yeah. took it to the East Coast with me and fed it to my friends. And they're like, I've never had anything better than that. Like, that is the, one of the craziest pieces of meat I've ever tried. So I, I, I love, pro I hope that I draw this year. I have a lot of points for at least a B. B tag so we'll see yeah I think uh there's to me there's more variability in like meat wise between 
individual animals than there is between species sometimes. Ooh. Like an alfalfa fed mule deer versus one that's lived on sagebrush its entire life or... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's just stuff that's on agriculture or had a tough life or, you know, whatever. But, uh, yeah, we're going to do the blind taste test again. It's going to be right. good. Let me know when. Yeah. What do you got, Jace? You don't have anything written down? You're just here? Yeah, no, I just kind of showed up to not knowing what's going on. No. <laughs> um, I was going to say, uh, I mean, I piggybacked off yours. I think, yeah, when people say they want to leave out on a hunt, like I got my tag filled and I'm ready to go home. And it's like, well. Yeah, if we had the trip planned for another week. Let's what's right. going on? What, what, you're not going to help me pack out my deer elk at the end of the week when yeah. I get one. So yeah. Yeah, that's I think that goes into just hunting partners, finding the right people, and yeah, or just know what you're signing up for when you go with certain certain folks. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's a lot of fish in the sea, is what they always say when you're dating, right? Well, when you're looking for a good hunting partner, there's a lot of fish in the sea yeah. to yeah. get them people the hell out of here if they can't. If they're going to go home after they <laughs> shoot theirs, chalk, yeah. you know, cross that guy off the list or that gal off the list. You know who has stuff that's great to say about hunting partners is John Barclow. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. In oh, his yeah, outdoor in the, class. In the outdoor class. He, yeah, he talks about that's true. hunting partners and how your good friends might not make hunting <laughs> the best hunting partners. And I've experienced that to some degree, um, that the people that I really enjoy hunting with aren't necessarily people that I'm really close to but people that have like a a similar idea of what we're doing and how we're doing it and um I loved that was probably the most uh uh I don't know like not life-changing advice but like surprising advice that I got out of that um I loved that outdoor class from him yeah I got another one food related Uh uh when people say like an old mature deer elk, whatever it be, a mature animal is going to be super chewy. And then, you know, your, your one, two year old are going to be super tender, which I mean, from my experience, I've seen, I think, I think it's case by case, the individual animal. But I mean, in my experience, I've had a really mature buck be super tender and then a two year old buck be super chewy. So I don't know if I, if I believe the whole old buck, chewy, young buck tender. Yeah, some of the seven, eight-year-old mule deer that I've had yeah. are the best eating, like, great totally. mule deer. I feel like on average it probably tends to be chewier the older they get. But I think also it depend like, so much of that depends on, like, what you did hanging the meat and, like, right. in terms of, like, how quickly did you, did you like, bone it out right away? Because then that's going to make a very different product than if you hung a whole deer carcass for two weeks before you started processing it. And yeah, all of that makes That's it, I point. think more of a difference in age, even, um, in terms of like the toughness of meat and then, it, or if it's been sitting in your freezer for a year or two, I think that changes it. There's a lot of variability, but I hunted um, deer and pigs with a, a group of guys in Texas and Michael Hunter, the chef was with us and the guys kept saying, go for the younger pigs. And he intentionally shot like the oldest, stinkiest boar that came through his blind that week. And um, as a point, he cooked it, smoked it, like just did a ton of different things to it. And um, we did a blind taste test, essentially, Mm -hmm. where there was a young pig and an older pig. And I mean, you have a really incredible like world class chef cooking it, but um, there was no difference. It was delicious all the way around. Like it was 
it was impressive. Yeah, and if you slow cook or braise something, it's gonna like it it's gonna delicious. just turn into a product that's gonna be very tasty, but also very hard to tell I, what it was. I think it's very hunter, chef, and butcher specific. Oh, for sure. Fair so enough, yesterday, yeah. Marcus made wild turkey, mm-hmm. and I almost ate the whole damn thing. <laughs> but when I shot a wild turkey in Montana in I think it was 2006 or seven, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I pretty much ruined it. Yeah. And so I think there's a whole lot of variability based on the skill of the culinary complainant. What's your, what's your pet peeve? I know a, you got oh, one over there. A pet peeve when people ask, yep. like, where where are you going? Where where were <laughs> you? And it's just like, and then a lot of times I'll be like, ah, oh, you know, this out in the mountains or I get I get nervous. Marcus is the most secretive person well, about where he hunts. And which I is, realize how much of a hypocrite it makes me because I'm we literally produce hunting media. Yeah. So it's just like it doesn't make any sense. But it's still like, and a lot of times it's people who aren't even hunters that because it's just like a natural course of conversation. Yes. It's just like, oh, where were you? Like, oh, we were we were up in central Montana. Like, oh, like what part? I don't know. It's central Montana. <laughs> And then it's like no Tom Creek. Yeah, <laughs> but it's just like because and even when it is someone who's not a hunter, sometimes those are the worst people because if you say you do say a drainage or a mountain range or whatever, they don't they're they're not gonna actually go there and hunt themselves. But then I've seen I've watched this happen multiple times where they're having a conversation with someone else or even it m- might be having a conversation with me and I'll mention something some like mountain range like oh. I just talked to somebody who was up so-and-so creek, and they saw a whole bunch of deer up there. And then this, like, information spreads like that, and you can just ruin spots. And so it is just, yeah. like, it's a weird little pet peeve, and I realize it makes me a hypocrite, but um, <laughs> that's that's my my pet peeve. It's like telephone, though. They often get it wrong. Yeah. They'll say Mill Creek. Do you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Instead well, like I like to all the off- also creek. tell people, like, you know, I what were the two – I'm going to forget my towns. I would have like two towns like, oh, you know, kind of between like Sula and Alzada. And like, <laughs> it's like, it's like, and like pe- two towns that people don't know. Yeah. Yeah. If they actually look them up on a map, they'll be like, wait, Those they're like, they're like 12 hours apart. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Will you say like, oh man, I was in like Northeast Montana? Yeah, sometimes. Yeah. It depends on who I'm talking to, but um, yeah. What's right. yours, Michael? What's my pet peeve? I don't care or your pet peeve, oh, well, your, well, your urban legend myth. Uh, well, my my one that I prepared was the the track one, but you know I'm gonna shift gears here because I'm a fishing dude, and it's the the like the people saying like I caught a th- 23 inch brown trout. It's like no way in hell you did, no way. Like show me the picture, and then they'll show me the picture, and it's like uh, 18 inch, which is still a nice fish, you know what I mean? But I think it's like, well, uh, another th- one is the uh, the rack thing with like like whitetails or like I heard all the time when I worked in the whitetail space was like, man, that was a 150 inch buck. And then you look at it and it's like, man, I don't know. I think it's like good, not necessarily for bragging sakes, but just to know what you're talking about to like, m- like maybe measure a couple of them or like when you're in your boat, it just measure a few fish just to see what it actually is like. Don't have to say numbers, but people love people to say love numbers. numbers. Yeah. yeah, I mean it's like how we speak, and I, like I don't want to like glorify the big buck or whatever. You know, like it's cool to shoot big animals, but like know what you're talking about. You know, well, like it, I don't feel comfortable telling people sometimes like 
a lot of people ask me years ago i shot a buck and i or a, a bull in idaho i have no idea like we measured it it's like it's somewhere around 320 or 315 i but i don't really know like right yeah because well, i didn't measure it you know when it's funny too so there's the the aspect of that when it's a fish or a bull or buck or that actually hit the ground and so then there's that yeah. level of like making up numbers but then when it's one that was either with the fish that was released or the buck that got away those are the numbers that get inflated a lot yeah those ones are yeah. hilarious <laughs> like oh man he was easily 350 yeah easily 350 it's fun and man. then this is like, <laughs> it's you see a picture like i love that about the human experience i think that like like um one of my favorite authors says that every memoir is 82 percent truth and um she's you know she's kind of bsing on like the amount of truth that's in there right because everything changes when you look at like memory studies like if even like when police are talking to people who are on a scene like nobody remembers the scene correctly everyone has a different memory so like I personally I say exaggerate make the story hilarious (laughs) make it as big as possible like you missed the biggest fish of your life and like we all know it was like an eight inch rainbow like that's just like that is what makes it fun like I I think that like having an imagination knowing that you missed the best buck of your life knowing that you you know (laughs) lost a fly on that fish like I I love that I I'm gonna say that it's not my pet peeve it's like one of the things I love most about (laughs) these stories I'm with you on that my dad was so full of shit his eyes were brown (laughs) and uh but when I was you know 10 years old I'm like well dad that's 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 a lie no, Randy, they call it a story for a reason. Exactly. <laughs> and then kind of the light went on. Like, okay, fiction. when so when my dad is telling was telling us a story, know that it was a story. Yeah. So I just accept that. You know, I we all run into people like that of, you know, it was an eight hundred yard shot with my <laughs> left uh, left eye, you know, crosswind. <laughs> it's like, okay, yeah, I get it. And you know, there there is kind of a fine science between the people who just get to the point of unbelievable, where their brother's like, you're full of shit, John. <laughs> <laughs> and then those who are like, oh, okay. You know, I, I don't get worked up in it in the least. That You know, in the fishing world, they have this thing called the D-liar. Have you ever seen that? No. It's called- Is it a ruler? Yeah. It, <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. It's... D E hyphen liar. It's called the D liar. Is it like a branded like yeah. bump board? Yeah. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. But my dad, he never wanted one of those. He's like, no, this is <laughs> it makes it way less fun. Yeah. I say go fictional. I want to hear about the most ridiculous thing that you saw. I want to be the most accurate though. I want people to believe me. <laughs> <laughs> is, is, is that because you take fishing that serious? Michael? I do. I do. It's just like, it, it does kind of irk me. I mean, it depends on who I'm talking to. I guess yeah. like if it's like somebody who's like, you know, the second time they've gone and they're like jacked up, you know, I'm not going to say anything, but like there was one story, like this is one of my favorite stories is like, Cassie, like one of the first times we got on the boat together, she caught like a really nice brown trout, like 18, 20 incher. And she's like, oh my 18, God, that thing, 20, right? that thing was like 25 inches. Uh, Amazing. So that was the first time I said I loved her. I was like, I love you, honey, but like, <laughs> that's not a 25 inch. <laughs> Oh, no. And it like kind of <laughs> broke her heart a little. You can't do that. Cassie, so Cassie I'm not responsible for your 
whatever dissolution. Cassie, I notice. believe you. But that like brought up the conversation <laughs> about if we loved each other, and that's when we decided Aww. we did. But but Michael, you said eighteen twenty. You know yeah, that's I mean, a, was, that's a ten to twelve percent variance. Yeah, yeah. I thought you were like a precision guy. Yeah, I think it, I can't remember exactly if we actually did measure it or not. Uh, but it, it was not 25 oh, okay. okay, here's well, the counterpoint. Yes, Do you sir. want people to keep their fish out of the water to measure them? Uh, <laughs> that's a good question. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, Into the frying I don't know. That's, <laughs> I, the I don't want to piss my trout friends off, so I'm not going to answer that. It's like probably you should probably just put them back. Well, the, so here's a little tip for fish measuring that I've seen is you – you take you take your picture with your fly rod, and then you have either marks on your fly rod, or you just know like where the yeah. you know where your text is. You know, sure. like that's sixteen inches from the butt to your yeah. I have a twenty inch mark on. I yeah. So you so you know while. like yeah. okay that's. But does it matter? It's just fun to know. It, I mean, it's good to know. Okay. It's good to know because like you, the tw- that's the, like what asking you, like, you does I it matter not. how much that <laughs> pronghorn behind you scores? Not really. But you have fun trying to figure but you, it out. You, know, you have a lot of fun I, trying I've to been figure it out. I do. Yeah, I, I so, do. Yeah, yeah you it do. adds another level of yeah game to it. Yeah, that's the same. That's the same okay. thing. Yeah. So and it's it's not it's just the twenty like I don't know it's like the three fifty mark with a bull elk it's like. That's the word that everybody says when they see a big bull elk. Is like I saw a 350. Yeah. And like that's what people say when they catch a big fish. Is like in the trout world, I caught a 20 inch brown. I caught a 20 inch rainbow. And it's like, man, that is a big fish. Like when you actually catch one, they're big. Well, no funny thing. And when thing- you actually shoot a 350 bull, it's a giant bull. Like it's a <laughs> giant bull. I wouldn't know. Yeah. Yeah, I wouldn't either. I mean, I I, I Me guess either. like Scott Scott's bull is like a. Wasn't three, it like? 350 a little over that yes yeah, so yeah. now, now we kind of know like what we know what one looks like on the ground but like it's hard to tell on the hoof i will say to you you have to go easy on people scoring is really confusing i like i cannot look at a deer for my life and understand like what like i can look at deer in here and be like maybe that's 150 inches i have no idea so i think that like like if you aren't like a total geeked out nerd about antlers like most people just don't know so it can be an opportunity for one education or two laughter so i, I don't Truth. know like it's yeah. a win-win yeah. right <laughs> no one's talked about wolves yet oh myths of wolves yeah. or coyotes is even more fun for me yeah marcus really let's dive Come in on, marcus. i think about the- that uh coyotes are just absolutely killing and decimating the deer <laughs> and elk populations, and I love killing them. Well, <laughs> I, and I'm one saving thing, I mean, everything. I, I, I won't. I kill them. I'm not gonna lie, the coyote can be a very efficient predator. But when people go out predator hunting and it's all for predator control, and they're like helping save the world, saving all the deer and antelope by killing these coyotes, it's like unless you are systematically removing them from the landscape, like through aerial gunning, poisoning. Poison. Or just like you are out there every single day killing every single coyote. Like in the scheme of things, you're doing nothing. Like when you start to factor in multiple years and mul- and like it's just. Or increasing the population. Yes. And I and think that's that that's th- like the <laughs> other side of coyotes that people don't take the time to understand. I mean, everyone should read Coyote America. Yeah, that's a good book. Um, by Dan Flores. But like uh, coyotes have an unbelievable ability to change the size of their litters depending on the population that's around them and um honestly the less you mess with them it seems 
the better. Like they will sort of find their place on the landscape. And if they're there, they're probably not going anywhere. Oh yeah. Well, and we, and the other part of that book is like, we did try to systematically eliminate them and we and they, failed. Like they we never adapted. got them. <laughs> 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 but I mean, there are places, there's examples in like, New Mexico, I think, is where I can think of some places where they do aerial gunning. And, like, they do increase, like, fawn survival through that. But it's just, like, I mean, tens of thousands, maybe $100,000 a year per, like, you know, block. I don't know. I wonder what happens to the rodent population. It's like a lot of rodents, too. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, it takes a lot to actually have an effect. So, when you go out and shoot your three coyotes in the winter, like, I don't care. Like, I'm all for it. Same, Knock yourself out. But like to say that you're you're saving God. everything is like okay. <laughs> I think they, they you know the the coyote hunters they need to just own loving coyote hunting more than trying to like yeah. justify it. Yeah, dude. Oh yeah, no, that's what I want. I want to do yeah. a coyote hunting episode, and I was just like, yeah, I'm out here just making more, more coyotes. Like, <laughs> <it's> <laughs> I shot dude. They're probably gonna have bigger litters <laughs> next year, so I'll have more coyotes to hunt next year. That'll piss people off. <laughs> <laughs> what what did people blame an unfilled elk tag on before 1995 when they reintroduced wolves in Montana? That's Idaho, a good question. Mm. Everyone filled their elk tag back then. It just yeah, it, there wasn't an elk <laughs> tag that went unfilled. <laughs> <laughs> there a were question. a lot yeah, of. I, uh, I feel like elk hunting was easier there for a second. <laughs> <laughs> I've heard some stories of just. Whole elk getting brought out, yeah, the Gallon Canyon, like from like, like from crazy. your pops, yeah. yeah I heard some like all sorts of pe- like the past. They used to weigh twenty four karat gold at the check station. They would just because everyone got their elk out whole. Because why would you shoot one <laughs> far away from the road when you could just shoot one next to the road? Yeah, and then you just go and weigh your elk at the check station. And for some people, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we decided we wanted to shoot all the elk in the canyon. Yeah, I was say I feel like. Well, Back I think then, that one that I think there's no denying that wolves did like oh, yeah. the greater Yellowstone elk population. I mean, they knocked mm-hmm. that down a lot, but, but it's just like there's a lot of factors there. It was probably overpopulated. There's a lot of evidence of vegetation just being right. absolutely destroyed north of Yellowstone. Yeah. And so, in Yellowstone. So, what, so for seven years in a row, we shot 2,200 pregnant cow elk. Yeah. Every January and February. Well, what's that just not counting the calves that's 15,400 elk out of a herd of 20,000 but you know we blamed it on wolves so this when was it was it was a team after the 90s in the 90s 1996 through 2000 they were just giving away a ton of cow if you went to garden you couldn't drive through gardner yet they stopped you and said here you need a cow tag you can't (laughs) go any further Uh, i'm joking but I always joke and say that a lot of those wolves were driving F-150s. Yeah. And, uh, oh, that's funny. It, I get it. You know, it did have an impact, and it still has an impact, but it's not the cause of every unfilled elk tag in Montana. Oh, for sure. Well, and then the other one, too, that, like, I, we mentioned this on the last podcast, I think, but the mule deer, uh, wolves killing, like, mule deer and stuff, or even elk in certain areas— mm-hmm. It was actually mountain lions that are killing way more. Like as far mm. as predation goes, mountain lions were killing way more of the deer and elk than they're uh, impressive than specialists. Were. Like oh yeah, it is impressive what they can do. So, so anyway, I, I, that's what I had written down here. Michael didn't even bring notes. I had my notes. This is just, like, this is just a fun one. Em. This is like a fun. You know, we got to have one of these every once in a while. Mm-hmm. We we try to have some. Good educational topics. You want to know what's the, the pet peeve for everybody out on the hunt talk forum? 
What's that? What is because it? Yes, yesterday, the Montana draw results came out, yeah. right? Last night, I don't know how many threads were started. Hey, folks, new here. I drew tag, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Anyone got any information? <laughs> oh, man. And they're pretty brutal out there on Hunt Talk. John, John Cushman comes in and goes, welcome to Hunt Talk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, or they'll say, yeah, this video right here will get you there. And it's a video of, you know, who knows what, how, <laughs> how to make peanut butter cookies. Or <laughs> it's like, so I don't get too worked up about it, right? It's, it's a public forum. People are going to come and ask what they're going to ask. But man, some people, it's like hit their trigger well that's it that is a funny one too just like in terms of people drawing special permits for whatever deer elk antelope uh in certain states i feel like it is the culture that you do share that information because a lot of times you're going to get that once in your lifetime and so it's like people are readily sharing all the intel that they learned when they hunted that like oh yeah I, i got my chance to hunt whatever you know some really good arizona elk tag i'm, I'm never going to get to do it again so i'll tell you everything versus if it's something you draw every like a couple years or every year time. then people are way more stingy which makes sense so yeah that's a, so. that is an interesting one but also i feel like just on hunt talk even if it was one of those primo units i feel like there probably is a little bit of like oh, okay yeah. you haven't you haven't earned your right yeah, a little to, advice would be like just in life is like get to know somebody or like get to know the people on the forum, you know, right. and like have some conversations and then like maybe at some point there will be some information share, shared, but yeah. it, it's not a good look just to come, come up to Marcus and say, Hey, where'd you kill that bull that I saw on fresh tracks last week? You know, like he's not going to tell you, but maybe <laughs> if you, you go hang out with him for a little bit, he might give you a hint, but probably not. Cause I, <laughs> I'm a bad read the book, yeah. <laughs> read the book, how to make friends and influence people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then you want on talk. <laughs> But uh, that, uh, I think that's a good point, Michael. Would would you go up to some guy on the street and say, hey, I drew, uh, you know, whatever tag. Can you tell me where to go? And the guy would look at you like, who are you? What, what the hell? Uh, so uh, there's this anonymous kind of persona we, in how we conduct ourselves online. It's like, whatever. I don't it's just get too etiquette. up. There's just like certain types of etiquette that we have in our world and, yeah. Uh, that etiquette might not make as much sense to someone who's in Ohio hunting whitetails on their family farm their entire life. And another opportunity for maybe a <laughs> education <laughs> that, that might, you know, and like sometimes you learn by making that mistake. But yeah, that's uh, it's pretty funny. I don't know. I just I'm too old to get worked up about stuff like that. But some people really good oh yeah i'm sure their blood pressure going over that so all right we should wrap it up this is the longest we've ever gone hey new record thanks for staying with us people episode so thanks guys for bsing yeah man it's been fun thanks for having us marcus yeah Yeah. appreciate it see ya